0: We're going to pick it up from Daf. I oh, know. No. Memvav Amid Beyz. Before we start, um, the learning should be uh, is donated by is dedicated by Abi Hirschkowitz Lizechen Nishmas, Hinda Bas Yaisit Zvi Alevi, by Yude Peller for the Hatslach of the Chavra, Michael Rollhouse for Gila, the Nishmas, Gila Gilah Bas Shlaima Leib Bas and a couple other people anonymously, and they should only have Hatslach and Bracha. So, we're up to Daf Memvav Amid Beyz. The last thing we talked about was the concept that a person if he sells himself to a guy uh generally obviously is supposed to redeem him but if he sells himself willingly and especially if he does it three times we're not paying them anymore so the gemara says Gavra, two lines from the bottom Gavra. there was a person de that he sold himself to the ludoi now the ludoi were known they were a cannibalist tribe so he decided that, that was a good idea and he sold himself to the cannibals. So now this is different than a regular um selling yourself to a guy. This is uh, mamish bikuch nafash. So also kami de revami. They are servami. So he asked ravami to be redeemed. Now he did this willingly. So amar lei pirkan. So he said please redeem me. So amar ravami said to him, "Tanan it says in the Mishnah, 'Amay khatzmei visbonav levikha've min poidonaisay. Um uh, sorry, we we can't uh we can't redeem you." but but he says like this if you look at the Mishnah it says so you can't redeem him and his children but the children are redeemed after the father's death why so that, that Mishnah said we didn't really analyze why so the reason is kilkul. we're afraid that if you leave the children as long as the children are with the father we assume the father will take care of them they'll stay religious it'll be okay but after the father passes away, then then if you leave them by goyim, it's gonna they're gonna go off the derech. So you see that we're paid to the children to protect them religiously. So he says like this. Over here, nefesh. So Ravami felt that we should save this guy, we should redeem this guy because of pikuach nefesh. It's Ravami. a hard gemara to understand. Like, we don't pass in this way, but the the said Ravami not every Jew are you obligated to save their life. If someone is a Mummer, if someone is actively rebelling against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're not obligated to save his life. So, again, practically halacha nowadays, no, we don't uh, we don't follow this way, but conceptually, if someone knows about Hashem and knows these things and is actively fighting, rebelling against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rebelling means that he's choosing. He would choose chaser over kosher meat, even if they're both in front of him, both the same price. He would choose chaser. That's... That's where he's at. You're not obligated to save. It's called Maridin Ve'Maylan. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm definitely not obligated to save your life. So they said to Ravami. The Rabbanu said to Ravami, this person who sold himself to the Ludai tribe, Hayishrael Mumruhu. He's a Mummer. He actively, willingly chooses Chazer. So you don't have to save him. They said, we saw him eat Nevelis and Trevis. So I'm not obligated to save him. So the Gemara says Amr Lahu. Ravami said them to, to defend this guy. Maybe he's... You only, you're only you only not obligated to save a Jew if he's a renegade to fight against Hashem. Some people eat McDonald's because they love the taste of McDonald's. So maybe he's eating Chazer because he likes the taste of Chazer, not because he's fighting against Hashem, because he he's giving in to tibas, in which case we should save him. So Amr they said, No, They said, No, no. We once saw that there was in front of him there was kosher and non-kosher, and he chose non-kosher. That's... That's a fight. That's a, assuming everything's equal, assuming everything is uh, of equal, uh, of equal, uh, um, you know, equal quality. He chose Chazer over kosher, so that's to fight against Hashem. So Amr Leiser said to the person. He said, "I go. I can't, I can't help you. I'm sorry. I can't help you." Now, this next gemara is a very strange gemara. I'll read it to you. The Pashup Shot I saw yesterday the Kameinah Rebbe's Nesiv Mitzvay Secha, in his Akdama, he quotes the Taldus, that the Taldus quotes the Balshem So it's a teaching of the Balshem that the Balshemtiv understood this Gemara B'derech not, not, uh, Yitzhahara, you know, not in its classic sense, this upcoming Gemara. Huh? This guy Yeah. So he's assuming he's going to be either redeemed or killed. Probably, yeah. Probably redeemed. I, I don't know, i will be honest, it, yeah, it's a bad idea, I'm not sure, I'm not, his thought process was not 100% quality, but yeah. He, he took a loan that he wasn't able to pay back, so that's why he was captured, right? So it wasn't like he just... Well, no, it says he sold himself, that was the previous gemara that he borrowed money, this he says he sold himself, zovin and Zov Napsha, he sold himself, uh, I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah, I'm saying they probably paid well because he was probably the, 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 the he looked delicious. I don't know. So the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says Rishlakish Rishlakish So okay, so the way some of Farshim say this, um they quote Tysus and Tefaras Yaakov as saying that this took place before Rish Lakish was religious. This is uh this is the origin one of the origin stories of Rish Lakish. I'll tell you the Balsham did not understand it that way. So Simple Pshat of the Gemara, Rish decided he's getting rid of these cannibals. He's going to go in, kill them all. That was his plan. So Rish Lakish sold himself to the cannibals because he wanted to kill them. So this is what he does. They took him and he took along, he took a, a bag and a ball in the bag, like a bowling ball in the bag, as so he, uh, he carries with him. So Amar, he said to himself like this, Gemiri, these cannibals have a tradition the last day before they kill you and eat you call the boy abdile. whatever you ask they do that, that's the rule of the cannibals why because that's their way of uh, like they're asking forgiveness for murdering and eating you so the, the day before you die whatever you whatever food do whatever whatever you want <laughs> oh okay so <laughs> Interesting. So the Gemara says, The last day before they killed Rish Lakish, they said, what would you like so, I want to tie you all down to chairs. I'm going to hit you, yeah, every one of you, one and a half times. One and a half times. What does it mean to hit him one and a half? <laughs> oh, yes, gave a share on this also, sir. He talks about this and One and a half times. Oh, a half times. Yeah. So he says he's going to hit them all one and a half times. So, continues Svinu. He ties them all down. He hits them all once. So, Nafik Nishmasay. They all, uh, you know, were knocked out. And I guess one of them started like, like smiling to him, which is like the crazy scene. Like, like you know, like he started smiling. Like, after like that's all you got. So, Rishlokish said to him, Rishlokish says, "You're laughing at me." I hit you one and a half times, meaning I'm not done yet. And then, he killed all of them, and he left. So so the Baal Shemtev understands the story. Again, it's a whole arichus, and the Baal told us quote it. The Baal understood the story is that this happened after Ishlakish became from. That immediately after a person is Makabal upon himself to serve Hashem properly, the Yitzhahara comes even stronger. And Ludoi is the name of the Yitzhahara against Taivim of lust and eating and they attacked him and he subjugated them and beat them up and he goes to Mamish the entire Gemara to explain Hashem, what all this meant but okay just to end on Rishlakesh's lifestyle which is interesting Rishlakish would sit he would eat and drink a lot whatever money he whatever money he had he would spend so Amr Le his daughter said to him Le Bois don't you want something to sleep on don't you want like a nest egg so I'm my, my stomach is my mattress. May I sleep? on I'm, 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 No, I'm good. I take care of myself, and whatever money uh, I guess Hashem will provide. When Yishlokish died, he left only a kav of saffron for his uh, relatives. They left their possessions out of it. This kind of makes sense if you understand the flow of the Gemara was, that the Yetzirah to Ludoi is the Yetzirah for Gashmias. He completely destroyed it to the point where he didn't need anything. They say, "Don't you want to save money?" He's like, "I don't care." It's not like he ate it and he was uh, had a yacht. Whatever I ate, whatever he didn't care about money. he got to the point where he said, "I sleep on my stomach. I don't need savings. Whatever Hashem provides each day, and I don't care at all." Okay, uh, back to the regular sugyas. So, mishnah, mishnah says like this: Hamaycher sadei if you sold your land in Eretz Yisrael to a guy now this is not allowed, it's against sinisa deraisa Reisah, and the rabbis were very upset about selling land to Goyim in Eretz Yisrael, so they penalized you, Bikurim The Chachamim punished the, the Jew who sold his field, and they made it that every single year he has to buy Bikurim. Bikurim are the first fruits of that year, you bring them to the Beis HaMikdash and you say, you know, say you know, love and what do you call it? Uh, you know, the, the whole parsha that these are racist priad and You know, they make you buy it each year from the guy. So it's not a doring, huh? So it's not a thing? Correct. That's what seems to be. what well, the Gemara is going to analyze this. It seems that there's no biblical obligation because it belongs to a guy. Once it belongs to a guy, it's exempt from everything. But Chazal punished mm-hmm. me for selling it to a guy and be like, you're not out of the woods. Every year you have to buy it, no matter the price. I don't care what he charges you. You have to buy the first fruits and bring it to the base of as a penalty. Huh? Not selling the land. What? Wow. Right it's an issue to sell the land. Sell the land. Yeah, yeah. So if you did sell the land, the Rabbonin penalized you for going against the Torah by making it that every year you have to spend the money, no matter what the price, you have to buy the Bikur and bring it to the base of Middush. So every year you have to go to the guy. And I'm sure the guy probably realized... Well, I'm and, not saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, but this is after so the fact. So what's the punishment for that? Well, I mean, I guess lashes, but the point is, this is a ongoing punishment. If it was just lashes, then you're like, okay... This is every year Chazal penalized you, so you know what you're probably going to do: A, you're not going to sell your land to a guy, and B, maybe you'll buy it back from him. That was that was the hope. Now, what's interesting is this will lead us to a a a very long discussion, and that is, if a guy buys land from me in Eretz Yisrael, is the fruits and vegetables of those fields that I sold are they biblically exempt from trumas amaisus? Meaning? Does the Torah recognize goyish ownership to the extent that I'm no longer obligated in trumas right I have a field, which is mine, so it's belongs to a Jew. So it's high trumas I sell it to a guy. Now, does the Torah say you're still obligated in trumas Now, what does that mean? It belongs to a guy. So it means if you buy fruit from that guy, you have to separate trumas ma'isus. Or do you say no? Selling it, the Torah recognizes ownership of a guy ad that it's biblically exempt legamri. That's the question. Yeah, th- th- oh, no. Shemitah. It seems to be. It seems to be that we passing that it definitely does exempt it, because this is regarding meiser. We passing that regarding meiser, goyish ownership does not exempt from shumas meisers, at least in the times of the Beis Now Nowadays, Shemitah there are bonus. I don't know how it applies now with this. But the point is, the question is, does goyish ownership is it recognized by the Torah enough to biblically exempt the pr- the fruits of that field from shumas meisers? And uh, B'Kurim, as you could see, where the Mishnah, Mishnah is going to be involved, because the Mishnah says we rabbinically require you to buy it. it, implies that it's not a biblical concept; it's a rabbinic penalty. We'll, we'll get to that. Says the Gemara. Raba's Rabba, opinion is that if a guy owns land in Eretz Yisrael, it is still obligated in Shumas and We do not. Torah does not recognize Gaiusha ownership to the extent to exempt you from Shemar Kiliha <laughs> It belongs to God. That's not a guy can't remove the kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> so what does Gaiusha ownership do? It means they could they could dig wells. Meaning a Gayisha ownership is that they have the right to not plant stuff. That's what Gaiusha ownership means. But if they choose to plant stuff. So when you sell your land to a guy, what is the guy acquiring from a Torah perspective? He's acquiring the rights to the usage of the land. Now if he wants to turn it into a swimming pool, he could turn it into a swimming pool. So there won't be Shumas and because there's no fruit. But if he decides to plant it, you're obligated Shumas and Icers on a biblical level from that from that from that land. So if you buy it from the guy, you'll have to separate Shumas and Isis. That's Rabba's opinion. Shinamar? So, when the Puzzle says that the land is given to humans, what it means is the guy has the right to choose to not plant there. But if he plants there, you're obligated to choose. That's the first opinion. Revelazar disagrees. He says, no, opposite. He says, no, 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 no. I think that if a guy owns it and, and and grows it, there's ta'ken no chiev. Uh, that Goyish ownership is recognized to exempt from the land you have to separate from your your grain but not the grain of a guy but what they don't have is they do not have the right to use it to the land to turn it into a swimming pool that they don't have the right. Now uh, I just want to see. I'm not sure what I'm not sure what we could do about that considering when you give the land to them but hold on one second sema uh, Lama cannot attain full ownership of property in their Israel he the land gives him only the rights to usufruct okay meaning we know that a guy when he buys the land from you he gets rights to do something. It's ownership to some extent but not to other extent because you have like Lahema um Le is Adam. But you also have Li Kalaaretz. So it's like, you know, which one is it? So according to Ravah, a guy does not have the... If he grows plants and fruits and vegetables, you have to separate Shumas and Isis on a biblical level. Ownership does not exempt for that. What does ownership mean? It means they could turn it into a swimming pool if they want. They can make it that there's no fruits and vegetables. They could turn the land into a quarry. I don't care. But if they grow fruits and vegetables, you have to separate Shumas and Isis. is the opposite. He says, no, 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 no. no. They talk don't have to separate Shemos and Isis that if it's grown from the land. So what? What do they not have? They do not have the right to turn it into to, to a swimming pool. They don't have the right to take away its vegetation. They are they're, they're obligated. They they have sort of the rights to the fruits of the land, and when it's theirs, they don't have to separate Shemos and Isis, But they cannot just turn it into. They can't take away its growth potential. So that's a machloikas between Ravlietz and Rabbah. The kids are numerous. Can a guy plant uh, if a guy buys land from you? and there's fruits and vegetables grown on that land, is it obligated to trim some Isis on a biblical level? Rabbah says yes, or Rebbeleus says no. So the Gemara says... but, Mike, mythically, what is the Machlegis about? The Machlaikis is, very simply put, how do you touch up the Pazlik Digoncha? You have to separate Meisir from Digoncha, your grain. One opinion says, as Rabbi Yezer says, that is your grain, and not the grain of a guy, which means that if it belongs to a guy, you don't have to separate Chumasa Meisiris. So, the Torah is recognizing Goyesha ownership to exempt you from Chumasa Meisiris. Umarsava Rabba, who feels, no, Goyesha ownership, you still have to get a So, how does he touch up Digoncha? it doesn't mean It's the the, the is the grain. Digun is when is grain obligated. Like when is grain obligated in Trubis and Meisers? So we know that biblically it's when it's it's fully processed. So it's when it's smoothed over. It's when you take all the grain, put it into a pile, and smooth the pile over. That's when. now we're done. Okay? That's when it's officially, it's called digun. It's, it's not, like if you, if you go, there's just one apple falls off the tree, that's not high and shubh, it's on a biblical level. It's when you gather all the apples together, bring them to the house, whatever, it has different cheshbonos. That's called digun. According to Rabbi according to Rabbi it's not a matter, it's not digun chav, it's it's digun chav, it's It doesn't matter who owns the land. It, ima- it matters who finishes the processing. Meaning, if I have Jewish owned land, yeah, and a guy buys the fruit, and then does the last process not obligated to and Mises, Because it was under Goyesh ownership when it was fully processed. I don't care where it grows, but the opposite. You could have a Goyesh owned land, but a Jew buys the fruits and gathers it together. It is Chayev and Mises. So according to Rabbi, it doesn't matter of whose land it grows on. It matters whose Whose property? Who is the owner when it was finished? When it was fully processed? That's the machlokes. Everyone agrees that it's that a goyish concept could be exempt. It's so a machlaikas. Is a goyish own land or goyish processed fruit that's exempt from shumas So we have a machlokes. If I sell land to a guy, is it obligated in shumas on a biblical level? So the gemara says like this. Okay, Mino Rabba says, How do I know that I'm right? That what? That Goyah own land is obligated in Shumas HaMaisers. Because it says like this, The, Tanaan, the Mishnah says, HaLeket shall I be Chayev Hefker Okay, this is a strange line. Let's analyze this. We'll try to figure out exactly what the case is. I have Leket Shecha peya. right? When you have land, you're obligated to leave over some things for poor people. It's Hefker for poor people. Leket Shecha peya. yeah? So it says the Mishnah, If I have Leket Shecha V'Paya, of a guy, now how the guy got it, we'll analyze in a second. But you have leket shechupaya by a guy. If I buy it from the guy, I have to separate meiser on the purchase. So if let's say the guy has ten pounds of grain that's leket shikhupeya, Now whose grain it is, we'll analyze in a second. But you have a guyish grain that's leket shechupaya ten pounds of it. I buy it from the guy. I have to separate ten percent of meiser unless I'm mafkaret. Okay, now wh- whose grain is it? Again, goyishah grain that's like a that was sold to a Jew. You have to separate Shemus myself How did the goy get it? So the Gemara says, "Wait, wait a minute. What exactly is the case?" Hey, What is the case? Eilei wait, wait. So let's go with the first attempt. Jewish owned land. I leave over like a Goy comes, takes it, sells it to a Jew. You're obligated to separate meiser unless it's hefker. Isn't it already hefker? When I, right, like a is hefker, right? So I leave like a in my field. A guy comes and takes it. It's hefker. Anybody could take it. He takes it. He gives it to a Jew. The Jew has to separate meiser unless he made it hefker. It was already hefker. I don't understand. Right? You're not obligated to meiser on items that are hefker. I made it hefker by making like The guy took it, gave it to a Jew, Unless it was made hefker specifically, you're obligated meiser. It was already made hefker. But the ani, when he when he gathers it up, he's also responsible for some of it. But they, so, you're asking that. I just want to clarify what you're asking for. It's not forward. necessarily hefker. It's, it's really meant for it's hefker in the sense that you're leaving it over for the ani to gather. So the ani himself is still chayv, isn't he? No, no. There's no chayv meiser on on leket No, it's hefker. It's it's a hundred percent hafker. It's per, per, It's 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 considered hafker. So if the case is that a Jew leket shechupay leket Shekope in his field, then a guy took it and then subsequently sold it to another Jew, then what's the that, okay? So it makes sense. But then it says unless they he the guy made it ownerless. It was already ownerless. It was like a It was already ownerless. So that can't be the case. Okay. So that's attempt number one is thrown out let's go with attempt number two it must be it was Goyish's own land he left over Leket Shechupaya. Yeah. a Jew took it and then Jew sold it what do you see you see that land that was originally a goy's. meaning how did this Goyish come into existence it can't be a Jewish own field because if it's a Jewish own field it's already Hefker it must be it was a Goyish own field that a goy left over some things for charity he said listen I'm going to leave over a couple things in my field for charity a Jew took it then sold it to someone else. Then you have to separate maaser unless you are it, because it's like anything else. The Jew purchases it once he purchases it, once he acquires it. So what do you see? You see that land that was so it originally was leches on the land of a guy. So what do you see? You see that grain that was grown on a land is obligated in 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 in, in right? That's the case. The case is that it's leches It started on a land, and a Jew took it. And therefore, and then a Jew subsequently made business with it. He sold it. So he obligated him. He like any other business that you do with it, huh? It's gathered by a Jew. Yeah. So what? Oh. Yeah. I'm saying this grown is, grown is correct. So this it's is a raya. By a Jew. Therefore, it's, help, but it's place for us. Interesting. Okay, it's a good tanya. It's an interesting tanya. Okay, I hear. Hmm. So tesis, this is the bottom Tysus talks about that. The bottom Taisus talks about that because you're assuming that if you hold that gathered by a guy exempts it, then gathered by a Jew would require it. That's what Rashi implies, but Tysus is not. Uh, it, it's, it's not so passionate. But let's go back to this. The point is, so says Rabbah. This is a riot to me. Why? Because it started in the land of a guy, and it was like a chicope by a guy's field. Then a Jew took it and you're obligated to So you see that fruit that grows on a Gaiusha field is high and So it says the Gemara no. the Hani the me Then he says no. The case is what we originally thought. It's not grown on a Gaiusha field, because grown on a Gaiusha field is not Haivan Chumas and Miser. So what's the case? The case is that it was like a by a Jew. You have a Jewish field. He leaves like a shikhope. So it's Hefger. A guy comes and takes it, then the guy sells it to someone else. You're obligated in meiser. It says unless the guy was mafker But wait a minute! I thought it's already hefker. The answer is when a person leaves like a I think it's a little bit what you were saying. It, it is hefker. It's hefker for a Jew. Meaning it's not like the assumption is that like a is absolute hefker. And therefore, if the guy takes it, why do I have to separate meiser? It was already hefker. The answer is no, 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 no. I mafker it for Jews. If a guy takes it, then it's a transaction. Then it's. Exactly. So when you're mafker, it's not an unequivocal hefker. It's hefker for aniye yisrael. And therefore, if a guy takes it and then sells it to a Jew, you're obligated to my. Yisrael, unless it's mafker. I thought it's already hefker. and answer is no, no, no. It wasn't hefker for the guy. It's hefker for Jews. Because a guy took it, it was not hefker. So the case is really it was grown on Jewish land. Therefore, it's not a riot at all. To our discussion about grain grown on Goyish land. It's not a riot. Okay, so let's try to bring another proof. Tashima. A Jew purchased a field from a goy. The halacha is that grain is not obligated in meiser until it reaches a fifth, a third of its growth. Okay, so let's say it grows uh, nine inches. It only obligated in miser when it reaches three inches of growth. Before that, it's not considered uh, the finished process, a finished product to require and meisers. So I'm a, I'm a Jew. I buy field of a guy when all the grain is less than a third. Okay, and then I sell it to him after it reaches the third growth. Okay, so in other words, I bought Goyish land, and then while I was the owner, it reached the proper growth that would require Shumas be meiser shekvar I'm obligated to meiser because, meaning, even though it's Goyish land, so l'chora I should be exempt, but because it was Jewish owned when it reached the Optimal third, that's when your are chayv. Loy. What's the implication of the mission? Again, the Mishnah says you go to a Goyish field, yeah? You wanna buy you wanna buy some fruits and vegetables. So the sign says it was owned by a Jew when it reached a third. So then you're obligated and separated, because at the time it reached a third, which is the amount when it's mechoy and ma'is, was owned by a Jew. The implication is the only reason why you have to is because it was owned by a Jew at that point. But if it was owned by a guy the whole time, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have to. It's pretty clear proof. Again, the case is, a Jew bought it when the, the saplings, are it's a Gaisha field, he planted everything. The Jew buys it, and then it reaches a third, and then the Jew sells it back to him. Says the Mishnah, you're obligated to Miser, because it reached a third under Jewish ownership. The implication is, had it not reached a third under Jewish ownership, you would not be chayiv. So it's clear that Gaisha own land is not chayiv and Shumas the Miser's. So the Gemara says, it is a good raya, but hachamayaskinah besurya, yeah, but that's not in Eretz Yisrael. We're talking about a case of Syria. Ukesaver kibush We had this discussion earlier in the Masechta that Syria, which was conquered privately by David Melech, when he was not, uh, not on behalf of all of Klal Yisrael, a Whether land in Syria is obligated in on a biblical level, the answer is this brisa, which exempts a guy, is talking about Syria, and it follows the view that Syria is not Eretz Yisrael. If you hold. That it was Eretz Yisrael, or if you hold that Syria is Eretz Yisrael in Halacha, it would be chayev even if it was a guy. So it is a good raya that a guy Gai doesn't Gaisha ownership does not require Shemizim Isis, but it's daf talking about Syria. And if you hold that Syria is not obligated on a biblical level, so yeah, we're not going to rabbinically require a guy's field to be severed Isis. The Gemara says one, uh, one more raya. Tashimah, This is also pretty clear proof. Again, we're trying to figure out if you have a guy and a Jew, if a guy is your own land, it's pretty clear proof. You have a Jew and a guy, go to the next page. You have a Jew and a guy that buy a field together. 50 50, we buy the field. So the question is, how do we look at all of the fruit? Meaning, to go simple. Um, you have, I. I For this case, you're a guy. Me and you buy a field together, and then after a year, we split a 50-50. We bought a 50-50, we're 50-50 owners, and then at the end of the year, we split up. I get the east side, you get the west side. The machloikis is, how do you look at the fruit of that field? Do you look at it as, when I allocated the east side, all of the chi of meiser went to me, and when you took the west side, that entire thing was exempt, because gaisha ownership is exempt, or do you look at it as every fruit of the field is fifty-fifty, half tevel, half 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 chayiv and Meiser, half not? Meaning, do we do we recognize the allocation that happened later? Yesh Brera, We've had many times. Do we say Brera to say that retroactively my field is a hundred percent chayiv and Meiser, your field is a hundred percent exempt? Or do you say no? Each fruit is fifty-fifty. What's the difference? The difference would be uh, we know that uh, it's. We've had this many times. If I'm if I have a, a, a fruit that's obligated in Meiser, raisa 100%, I can't separate 50-50 chiv to exempt the 100% chiyav. Meaning, if we look at it as every apple is 50% chayiv in Meiser, 50% not chayiv in Meiser, I can't separate that to exempt a field that's 100% chayiv in Meiser. So it's very important to understand, is my half 50% chayv, 50% not chayiv, or is my half 100% chayv? Because when me and you, you're a guy. the Gemara is a... Huh? But we split it. Yeah, but Splitting it in what? At the end of the year... You own the east, I own the west. No, no, but that was allocated at the end of the year. Meaning, we we just go into the field, we buy it 50-50. Oh, so... We we bought the whole field 50-50. And then at the end of the year, when we're ready to harvest, I say, you know what, I'm going to take the east side, you take the west side. So the question is, do we look at it as retroactively, I only own the east side, and all the Chiv of Meister is 100% on my side, and your side is 100% exempt. Or do you say, no, when you bought it, each apple of the entire field is 50-50. Now again, it's negaya because I have to separate Meister anyway. So what's the difference? Whether well, it's 50%, 100%, you're a go. You're not doing anything anyway. It's negaya as follows. If I have other fruits and vegetables that are Chayev in Meister, 100%, I can't take this apple and say, oh, these 10 apples will cover that 100 apples in the other field because these 10 apples are only 50% Chayev. That's 100% chayiv. I can't use a 50% chayiv to exempt 100% chayiv. But what do you see from this discussion? These two opinions about whether you have bravery or not, how do you look at the field? Is it 100% a 100% not chayiv, or 50-50? It's clear Goyim are exempt from Shum's and Isis. Like, that's clear. It's just a shilo of how we analyze the field. Do we look at it as you're exempt 100%, I'm, I'm a 100%, or we say 50-50 because each apple is a mixture. But it's clear that Goyim's own property is potter for That's clear. If you were Chayiv, then this whole discussion is, is moot point. The whole field is Chayiv 100%. Vais de Chayis, you're exempt, I'm Chayiv. And then the question is, do we look at it as each apple is 50-50? Or do you say, no, my, my side is 100% obligated, your side is 100% exempt. But, but it's clear that Goyesh ownership is exempting the field. That's what Gemara says. The Gemara says, Teva v'chulun mu'roven z'abizat divi Rebbe. Rebbe looks at it as the entire field is 50-50. Each apple is 50% Chayiv, 50% Tevil, 50% Chulun. Rav Shimon Gamliel says, no, the Jewish-owned side is 100% obligated, the Goyesh-owned side is 100% exempt. And Adkan, like, Pligiel, Demar Saviyesh, Brer, mar Brer. The whole Achloikis is basically, do you say Brer, that when they allocated the field at the end of the year, do we say retroactively, that's what the Chi of Meiser always was. So it's an argument basically of how to allocate it. But everyone agrees that the Gaisha part is exempt so the Gemara says the same answer the answer is again we're talking about Syria so this entire discussion yes this discussion does follow the view that Geisha on land is exempt because we're talking about Syria and it follows the viewpoint that Syria is not biblically Eretz Yisrael. I don't remember specifically which mission discussed it I know in the true house. <laughs> okay I'm, I'm, I'm out. Sorry about that. No, I'm fully well, yeah, up. I'll, I'll right. trust you on this one. Uh, no, um, it discusses that Guyam definitely took Trimos. Oh, yeah? If you bought fruits or vegetables from a guy, you assume Trimos were taken. By a Kuti or a guy? you got to check that because it could be a Kuti by a Kuti also because that could be that Mishnah's following that Kutim were Jews there was a discussion about what and, and if they were Jews were they careful with Shumas and Mises because they were careful with certain Mitzvahs even better than we were but I have to check it up whether it's gone we'll check it up. no no yeah. no 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 problem Toshimah avin. Toshimah okay so we had a shayla. we had a shayla of is is Goyesh ownership exempt or not so let's analyze why is this here why is this entire discussion here because of our Mishnah what did our Mishnah say I sell land to a guy, right? It's his now. Rabbinically, I'm required to buy the first fruits to bring Bikurim as a penalty. The implication is it's exempt 100%. It's not obligated at all in Shumas and Mises. It's not obligated in Bikurim at all. I have to buy it as a mere penalty. Now, if you hold that owned property is still considered holy in that regard, then it's obligated in Bikurim biblically. So, it sounds like from our Mishnah that I am rabbinically penalized to buy the fruit, go to the Beis HaMikdash, as a mere rabbinic process. The whole thing is rabbinic. That implies that it's, that Goyish own thing is 100% exempt. Because if it's biblical, then yes, maybe it's a rabbinic penalty requiring me to buy it, but then it's a of Doraisa. So, the, the implication of the Mishnah is that that the whole process is rabbinic. That implies that a Goyish owned property is, is completely exempt. The Gemara says, Tashimah, our Mishnah says, if you sell a guy to a field to a guy, you have to buy the fruit each year and bring a purely for benefit of society. Meaning, it's a penalty. That implies that it's not a biblical requirement. So, what do you see from here? You see that that the Torah exempts all property that's owned by a guy from trumas, pikurim. So, the Gemara says, no, 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 no. What actually happened was, it's actually biblical. If you buy, you have to, rabbinically, you have to buy the fruit. And when you buy the fruit, it's actually a biblical requirement. So why does it say you have to do this? There were actually stages. It's interesting. Chazal wanted to stop people from selling land to Goyim in Israel. So when you read the Mishnah, it sounds like this is what happened. You sold the land to him. It's completely exempt. But the rabbis punished you and said, buy the Bikur. That's not what happened. This is what originally happened. It was actually in two stages. Originally, people would sell land to a guy, do a wrong thing. They knew that Gayesha owned fields are still obligated, so they would buy it and build, bring it to Midoraisa. Chazal instituted. The problem was, originally, Jews were saying to themselves like this I sell it to the guy. I'm still obligated to be Kurim Doraisa, yeah? Because it's still Doraisa. So they said if it's still Doraisa, it's probably not a big deal to sell it to them. Right? Because think about it. What's the whole issue? You can't sell land to a guy. Why? In Israel. Because then it's not obligated to and Isis. But it is obligated in Trumas so people were actually being lenient selling it to them because once they understood the actual halacha, this opinion is following the view, this Gemara is following the view that it's still obligated to So they said to himself, if it's still obligated to what's the big deal? So they were actually becoming lenient selling land even though the Torah says lo sichanim, the Torah says not to. You know, it doesn't matter what the reason is, the Torah says not to. So people were actually becoming lenient selling land to a guy because they were like, it's still kadosh anyway, so what's the difference? Therefore, Chazal actually instituted Chazal's first institution was do not bring it. Meaning, it is obligated to Raisa, but if you sell it to a guy, we're not allowing you to bring it anymore because we're hoping that you realize what you've done. You've made land that was originally Jewish, Goyish. And therefore, you're not allowed to bring trumas and Mises from it, and you're not allowed to bring Bikurim, even though you're obligated biblically, Chazal Shev Al-Taz, said stop. Now, they thought that would help. The problem is that at the opposite. Then the opposite. Once people are like, oh great, I don't even have to do anything, perfect. And then they even sold it more. Then Chazal reinstituted, if you sell it, you have to bring it. So that sounded like a rabbinic institution. It was rabbinically instituted to go back to the biblical concept. You see, it was in stages. So originally they instituted that if you, if you, uh, you can't bring it... They're reversing their decision, yeah. exactly. So the Gemara says, Once they realized that, once they said that, once people saw that they didn't even have to bring Bikurim or Chumas and Mises, then they were just like, okay, great, sell I'm not have to do anything, perfect. Because then they're like, I don't even feel guilty anymore. So they were selling it, it was becoming more rampant. So then the Rabbis said, bring it, meaning they reverse their decision. So it sounds like it's a rabbinic institution. It's a rabbinic institution to go back to biblical, basically. Okay, it's one last uh, one last sogia Here's the following Shiloh. We know that when you bring Bikurim, right, you bring the fruit to the of Mikdash and you say uh, there's a biblical concept, you say, uh, kaira, right? We have this in Saita. Maybe, the you have to say psukim. One of the psukim that you say is, is reishis Hashem li Hashem. That you say, I brought the first fruits that Hashem gave me. Here's the question What if you have this situation? Adam owes land, he owns the actual land. He sold the rights of the fruits to me. I bought, not the land, I bought the rights to the to harvest. Yeah? So I'm planting, I'm harvesting, his land, I'm like the uh it's like he's the he's the landlord, I'm the tenant. Well, Jews, Yeah yeah, well, Jews. I buy so I, I okay, so it's uh pomegranates, yeah. Go with the it's the I have a pomegranate orchard, his land, but I have the rights to all the paris. I I plant, i uh, I take it to the Vesan Vegdash. Am I able to say the Pasuk? It's, the Lashem of the Pasuk is, hey, veis, yis, reish, yis, Eli Hashem. These are the first fruits that God gave me. But they're not really my fruits. I mean, they're my fruits, but they're his land. So the question is, I definitely have to bring it. to be I have to bring it. But can I say that Pasuk, which implies land ownership, when I'm not actually the owner, but I have the rights to the fruit. So it's a machleikis. If, I, if 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 someone sells his field but just for the produce, so he keeps the actual field, but the, someone else has the rights to the to the produce, the produce. Rabbi Yochan Omar, the buyer may be car. Rabbi Yochan says the buyer brings the fruit and recites the psukim because. Rights to the Paris is considered ownership enough that you could say the posak. Rishlakish disagrees, he says maybe He says, No, the buyer brings the Bikurim, but cannot say the Psukrim. What's the machikis about? Rabiachna Mehvi Paris feels that ownership of the rights of the Paris, that's considered ownership legitimacy. So you could say Asher nosata li Hashem That God meaning Asher nosata li Hashem. You could say the land that God gave me because you have the rights to the fruit where the rights to the Peris is considered ownership for Bikurim purposes that you could actually say the possum So I have a Kasha. Here's the Kasha. Um, it's very simple. You're looking for an example as to what's the Halacha if one person owns the land but the other person has the rights to the Peris. Does the person who has rights to the Peris can he say the psukim when he brings the Bikurim? You know it's a very common application? Every marriage. Not every marriage. Whatever. If a woman's wealthy and she brings into the marriage nichsei malug. Yeah. So, nichsei malug um, nichsei tzain barzal. Not nichsei malug. I'm sorry. Nikhse malug becomes the f- husband. nichsei tzain barzal. So, nichsei tzain barzal means that she brings into the marriage, she brings in the field. The field is hers, but the husband has rights to the fruit. What's the halacha? He brings bikurim and he says it. So, that's a pretty... Meaning, every... I, I don't th- think you can compare the two. Why not? Because... When I marry somebody, she's a part of me. Yeah, but uh, that that's like a nice emotional thought, but but practically but halakhically... Well you're touching on the answer. But halakhically... <laughs> no no but halakhically, conceptually, she owns the land, you as the husband have rights to the Paris. So yes, it's not the classic, you know, partnership in the in the financial partnership, but it's working the same way. And the husband actually says it. So there you go, it's a pretty good proof. So the Gemara says says to I have a kash uh, on you. Ula The Pasuk says that uh, when you bring Bikurim, you bring it on behalf of your household. this is the source. Sha'ada may that a husband is allowed to bring the bikurim of his wife and say the Pesukim Now the husband is allowed to, that's what the Pasuk says. And the husband is is like someone who bought the just the Paris. So you see, buying the Paris is enough. So you know Rishlakish responds. Um really he says that's the exception. Because the pasuk specifically includes it. Meaning, generally, that relationship does not require, it does not allow you to say it. So, why does a husband do it? Because the pasuk specifically says, Beisacha. The pasuk is inclusive. Meaning, that pasuk is not the rule, it's the exception. Maybe because of what you're saying. It's a different relationship. But the point is, yes, it's fundamentally working the same way, but that's different because the pasuk specifically says, Beisacha, that you could say it on behalf of your household. But if not for that Pasuk, he wouldn't be able to. So that Pasuk is telling you that a husband and wife relationship is the exception, not the rule. Some have a different version. Some have, some have a different version. The Rishlokish was saying there, he was using this as a proof. He quoted the Pasuk saying that a husband is allowed to do it. And Rishlokish says to You see, it's dafka because there's an exception. But if not for this Pasuk... He would not be able to say it. And Rav says, time <laughs> Adi the Ami Rav Yechonan in this version says, I use that as the source. You're saying it's an exception. I say it's the rule. I say that that Pasek tells you that every time you have a relationship where one person has the rights to the fruit, he says it. That's so Rishlakish is saying this is the exception, but generally not. And Rav says, no, this is the rule, and that's the source. So that's the two views. Now, we'll just end with this. Um, until now, we were assuming, again, we had a Shaila, if one person has the rights to the Paris. does he say the Pesukim of Bikurim? The Raya is, according to the Braisa, the husband says it, and the husband is the same relationship. So either you say, that's a good source, or you say that's the exception. Those are basically the two ways to get out of it. The following Braisa is a little bit funny. you have a Kasha, Hayabah You have a husband who's traveling. And he's got his wife's Bikurim. Again, he has the rights to the Paris. And while he's traveling with the fruits, he finds that his wife died. Now when his wife dies, he now becomes sole ownership, because he's his wife. So as he's traveling, when he started the travels, he was just rights to the fruit. Then she dies, now he becomes full ownership. Maybe vikarin. now he could say the Pesuket the implication is the implication is he's only able to say the psukim because once the wife dies he has full ownership up to that point he would not be able to say the psukim so this price indicates that a husband cannot say it and that's a proof to reish lakish that's not like so the gemara says no i'll tell you it outside, we'll see it inside. The, the truth is no the, the truth is a husband could say it even if the wife was alive so, why does the Brysis say so the wife dies? Right, again, the Brysis says that if the wife dies, then he could say it. The implication is if the wife was alive, he couldn't. The answer is no, no, no. If the wife was alive, he could say it. If the wife is dead, he could say it. Because the person who has Kenyan parents can say it. So, why does the Brysis specifically say the wife died? The answer is the following Chiddush. There's an opinion in the Gemara. The Gemara is going to say it like this. The Chiddush is that even though the wife dies, he could still say it. Why, why would he not be able to say it? If anything, he's more of an owner when the wife dies. You might think, this could be comparable to the case of Yossi Bar If you harvested the Bikurim and send them to Yushalayim all through a Shliach, okay? So you tell a Shliach, do me a favor, harvest my land, harvest my fruit, bring it to Yushalayim, bring Bikurim for me. Fair. As he's traveling, he has a heart attack and dies. They call you and they say, your shliach died. You go, you get it, and you bring it to the Beis Mikdash. The halacha is, strangely enough, maybe you can't say the Pesukim. Why? I'm the owner the whole time. It's because the Pesukim says, Part of the Pesukim is, you say, you harvested and you brought it. You didn't harvest it. You didn't bring it. You brought it. You didn't harvest it. Meaning, although it's all under your ownership, and a shliach shalladim kamaisai, but if it's a change... In the process you can't technicality you can't say it so you might think that because the husband so what's the case the husband starts traveling with the wife's fruit up to, he's just the owner of the rights of the fruit then she dies then he becomes the sole proprietor so you might think that although he owned it the whole time that death was enough of a change that you're not able to say the the same way the guy sent it through a shliach, he owned it the whole time, but because it started by a shliach and ended with him, although he's the owner the whole time, that's enough of a change, you can't say it. So you might think that because the wife died, that's enough of a change in the ownership that you wouldn't be able to say it either, because you can't say v'lakachta vevesa, because you're not the same guy. When it was v'lakachta, you just had rights to the fruit. When it's vevesa, you had rights to the land as well. So you might think that should matter, kamashvela, no. But don't deduce... That if the wife didn't die, you wouldn't be able to say it. Or you'd be able to say it if the wife didn't die. You'd be able to say it if the wife died. The chidish is that if the wife died in the middle, and you changed your status from rights of fruit to rights of owner, it's irrelevant, and you're still able to say it. So you might think that because over there you can't say because there was a change, originally it was a shliach and now it's you, although it's the same owner. So you might think it will be the same problem. Originally you had rights to the fruit and now you have rights to the land. You might think that matters. But don't deduce that you wouldn't be able to say it if it was just the wife was still alive and it's not a raya either way. I will stop here. 48 minutes, man.